Hello and welcome back to the Ninja Tune podcast. My name is Azaria and in this episode I'll be sitting down with saxophonist, multi-readist and composer Colin Stetson for our very own Halloween special. We'll be getting spooky with it as we discuss his work on the soundtrack of the renowned 2018 horror film Hereditary and the 2022 release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Netflix sequel. Colin has worked with the likes of Arcade Fire, Bon Iver and Bell Orchestra. We'll also get to listen to the track All Aboard from the upcoming film The Menu, hitting cinemas this November 18th, the soundtrack of which has been produced by Stetson himself. Hello Colin, how are you today? I'm doing very, very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm so good, thank you. Have you had a nice summer? The summer's been gorgeous. It's been epic. It's been a lot of travel, which was kind of surprising. And I didn't I didn't necessarily like actively plan on it. It just really happened. But um, but it's I've been to a lot of really uh lovely places and been with a lot of amazing people. And it's gradually coming to a slowdown enough so that I can enjoy this um this season, my favorite season, the whole northeast autumn, my absolute favorite. So it's been, it's been been epic, just gorgeous colors, gorgeous weather. I was going to ask like, what is it like up there um, for autumn in Quebec? Because autumn is also my favorite season. Mm -hmm. And um, I've heard like Canada in general is just like really beautiful this time of year. Yeah. um, I spent a lot of time in Vermont uh, this time of year as well in the mountains, but really across the board, depending on the, the, there's lots of microclimates, depending on where you are in the mountains um, in terms of how, um, what progression in the the leaves you are um, at any given moment. But right now um, I just spent a week in Vermont um, at my place there and it was just peak on fire everything just as gorgeous as as can be Re- really um quite uh kind of brilliant warm days too so that you kind mm-hmm. of have those um perfect um crystalline like blue skies and um you know 20 25 degree weather just kind of perfect sunny but still all the leaves um uh, red yellow gold yeah that is it's just that beautiful happy medium isn't it where it's like you're not freezing and it's not you know i mean it's quite cold here at the moment Um, where are you where are you at now i'm in london right now so yeah yeah and and, uh how cold is it getting there um i would say it's like in the 10 10 14 15 16 degrees like it is the thing is like autumn is nice here but it gets cold quite quick the weather turns quite quickly after summer it gets cold quite quick and then the colors are on as um i don't know it's it's it is it is is beautiful in its own english way but um (laughs) yeah wet there right yeah Um, you know it's like because if you say 10 to 14 15 people here would not really identify that with coldness so mm-hmm. much so um but it really is a a dampness yeah and then when yeah. it's like cloudy and rainy kind of takes oh, it yeah. down to like 10 you know realistically yeah. 10 with no sun is nobody's no it's not a picnic it's nobody's no. favorite absolutely yeah. not so before we jump into uh the making of the iconic 
iconic horror movie soundtrack hereditary i want to know a little bit about what your life was like growing up and and then how you got into film scoring in the first place um that's 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 enormous uh it's it's a uh, big one how my life was growing up in specifically to do with films or just in general Um, i think i just want to know like how you know was music always a prevalent feature in your life and then how do you sort of go from because i've always thought it found it so interesting how somebody even gets into film scoring in the first place Mm-hmm. And I'm just intrigued about like your 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 younger years in general. Well, my person, I, I think that my personal uh, trajectory into film scoring, I've been doing it now for I don't know twelve, fourteen years, uh, but it, it it certainly is not in any way conventional. Um, there are many more direct routes into the industry and into this particular um, uh, job, but I. I was, I was mostly when I was small, like from the earliest age, I was a visual artist and I was very, very, um, centered on that. And if there was any trajectory that uh, at that age towards film, it was through visual arts. Cause I was actually, I was such a sci-fi and fantasy geek at that time. And I, you know, and that was, I mean, the, the late seventies, early eighties, there was a lot of exciting things, you know, that was the era of Star Wars and, and more and more of these big um, fantasy epic, uh, fantasy and sci-fi epics coming out. And for the first time, the, uh, the creature effects and the, and the, um, all the practical effects, it was a, it was a huge booming industry. And, and, and that was something that I paid a lot of, t- of attention to when I was little. And so, um, so yeah, some of my earlier inklings of life trajectory were in and around the idea of going to art school and and having some future in in that regard and in, in getting into practical effects and, and into that ed, end of the um of the film world now i started playing saxophone when i was nine and then got i guess gradually over the course of years got more serious but when i was 15 started studying with a private uh, instructor from who who himself was going to university at the time for his i think it was his masters at um at the time and and really overnight working with you know Christopher Creviston is his name just a brilliant player and perfect teacher for me and, and for my um my particularities at the at that time and at that age uh but it really was night and day uh, I went from being, I mean, in my estimation, a wildly mediocre player, but you know, he saw in me the potential and really turned me from 15 to 16, turned me into, I think within a year and a half of me studying with him, I had auditioned for and won my scholarship to go study with his professor. Um, wow. and so, so it was quite a quick transformation. And, and then at that point I was really, it was just I mean, certainly not just inertia, but there, there was an enormous amount of it already built up at that point. So it was I, I, I'd become quite passionate about music and sound and ravenous to, you know, consuming as much um, as I could from from everywhere that I could. And 
and then it just and then just kept on going. So he studied classically, studied also uh, jazz, studied um, you know more uh, avant-garde, free improvisation, composition, and and then that took me you know through after undergraduate, I went to San Francisco and lived there for six years and played with you know number of of groups and and soloists and and did and started my own solo performance really in earnest there. And uh, gradually went to uh, Brooklyn next for about four years. I was there and then Montreal in 2007. And so I, th I think it was 2009 that I had started to put out solo records. I was I presently was working with uh, the Arcade Fire at that point and kind of out of the blue, which I think for some of us, this is how that that kind of thing goes. Um, tapping into the film world when one has inklings um, is, is is fun to think about, but really, uh, a there's not much time. B what are the resources and and how does one um, actively do that? But um, and thankfully for me, I really didn't uh, I didn't plan that. Um, a director by the name of Alexander Moore's came to me and said, "Hey, I I love your solo music." I'm wondering if you'd be open to scoring a film that I'm doing. And because, because I, I think that your particular voice would lend itself to, to the story. And so it was, and that it was that, um, it was that simple. So that was the, that was the first feature that I did the first scoring that I did. And then they kind of started coming in like that every year or so for a few years, I would get one or two of these. I've watched your, I've listened to your solo music and I think that you'd be right for, for scoring. And most of those, I think even Ari, Ari had not known Ari uh, Aster, who um, famously made Hereditary. I don't, well, I'm pretty sure that Ari did not know that I had already been scoring anything. Uh, he just knew my music, my, my solo music, and had been listening to it um, a lot during the course of writing Hereditary. And so it really was like that until around then, or uh, until around 2017 or 18, when the transition sort of happened to now more people who approach me are approaching me based on the fact that they know my scores rather than they know my solo music. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that in a nutshell about as concisely as I can put it, that's the trajectory from kid to now. So uh -huh. did you, um, in your household growing up, do your parents musical? They were, I would say that my parents were musically inclined. Uh, my, my father was the first, both of my parents were the first of their families to go to college. And my mother was raised really pretty strictly in a Catholic school and had expressed an interest for to get a piano and play piano when she was young. But my grandfather, um, his origins are a completely different story. And there was no way, I mean, this is just a farce just a joke for for him um this a, a kind of like frivolous expense that would never uh would never go so that that wasn't something that um that went anywhere my dad was musically inclined and did end up expressing that to a degree and he was a um specifically he was a singer in a rock band and like a rock cover band in college and did oh, nice. a bunch of like hendrix and beatles and uh 
Joe Cocker and Iron Butterfly and stuff. And uh, it's a dad thing, I think. Oh God, yeah. My dad and, loves Joe Cocker. <laughs> all the all the English dads do, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But uh, yeah, Joe Cocker. Um, I so and and he was. I mean, he was a brilliant singer. He's he really had a gorgeous voice and throughout his later you know his um his adult life later on especially after he uh retired he loved going to like karaoke nights and doing and doing those and he would and he killed it he had a really uh, really beautiful oh, yeah. that's so lovely yeah. um could you name a track and this might be hard to remember but that you heard for the first time when you were younger and you thought wow like something that stands out in your memory as being like so the maybe the first time that you were sort of like wow this is like this is amazing music is amazing um hendrix machine gun Whoa! 
feel like anyone who's creative or ha- is musically inclined or loves music in some way, you always start off on like the classics, you know, jazz, like Air James, Air Fitzgerald, or Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd, you know, and then you sort of veer off and, and expand. Yeah, for me, I was very lucky in that my father had very, my, my both my parents had very few records. And so, I mean, like, uh, comically few. There were really, I think, like 10 or something. Before my older brother and I, when I was four or five, I think we got Thriller. No, four, Thriller, yeah. Thriller and then Purple Rain. Those were the, um, the, the new acquisitions. But up until that point, there was really maybe four or five Hendrix albums, a couple Beatles records, uh, I think one Queen record and and some Jethro Tull. And that was the extent of it. So I listened to a lot of Jimi Hendrix when I was young. A lot of Hendrix when I was young. We used to have an old... Um, an old, I guess this, yeah, what was that car? It was an Oldsmobile? An old beater blue, like like just drab a gray sky blue uh, Oldsmobile. And my dad would drive me. I remember, I think I was 13, 14 when I was doing indoor soccer and he would drive me to these things. He hated soccer, but for some reason, he I think he liked the indoor soccer stuff during the winter because it was a little more violent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little more rough uh, and tumble, um, like football and the things that he enjoyed. But we would listen to just all that there was was an eight track um player in that car i know i know that, that this is the most dated <laughs> description of anything. <laughs> i mean i'm like i'm like what's that <laughs> <laughs> many, many people are <laughs> saying that uh but yeah so we listened to a lot of i think that i think we had hendrix and we think we had iron butterfly i think those were, those were the two eight tracks and they they got played um hours and hours it was a long drive <laughs> So is it true? And I think it I think it might be making an appearance in the background of this video right now that you have a hundred and twelve year old bass saxophone. You in uh yeah, well now 114, but 114. Yeah. Over a hundred and ten anyway. That's so yeah, you're so well um researched. That is <laughs> I I came across this and I was like I, cause when I love like old things of any sort of kind, the older the better, I'm mm. like, cause I love to imagine like, you know, when it was built, mm-hmm. I'm just like, who owned it? And the, the, the time when that, that your saxophone was made was just completely different time. Oh, absolutely. So, um, completely different. Yeah, completely. I mean, no internet. Wow, what the hell? No TikTok. <laughs> oh, just on so many levels that we don't have anywhere near time to get into, but just a completely, yeah. utterly different world that none of us would recognize. Um, yes. So yeah, how and, did you yeah. acquire it? I bought it on eBay. Oh, do you know any of the, like, the background about it? You're going to be like, no. <laughs> No, no, honestly, I bought it off of of an old man who lived in Chicago and he had been a teacher for some years and he was a player through the latter part of the of the 20th century and you know he played it a bit in those kind of um the the kind of period jazz bands that would have bass sax in them playing the bass parts. So it was quite 
traditional in terms of what the instrument had been used for earlier on um, in the century. So yeah, when I when I got it, it, it was there weren't that many of them floating around, and the few that were, they, they, it, it wasn't something that you it wasn't something that you saw on auction or for sale very, very often. Mm, and so I imagine. Yeah, so this one came up and it's it's very early make. It's very it's it's as simple a system as can be really in terms of the saxophone family. It's as rudimentary and unergonomic as they can get. It is really just a tube. Yeah. <laughs> basic mechanics on the top. And so I uh leapt at the opportunity to get it and uh, I remember very, very well. I was playing with the, one of the weirder gigs. You know, there, there are weird gigs throughout life. And one of the weirder ones was that night. It was at um, uh, the, um, not Radio City, uh, Madison Square Garden. And playing at a thing called the Jammies, which is a Grammy Ooh. for jam band music. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, really. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, <laughs> something and and i was playing there with the band so well the band was medeski martin and wood with the auntie Ballas horn section which i was which i was in and um burning spear and sinead o'connor and okay. that band That's existed funny. for one week when we rehearsed it, it was it was incredible yeah. it really was a beautiful um this like this little time capsule I, I just loved it it was such a strange week and beautiful and just a beautiful strange week of, of music making uh and so that night backstage my friend Ramey and I were that was when the auction work was coming up and so we were trying to make sure that I didn't lose the auction to some last minute vulture um, oh, right in okay. the middle of going on and it, it was yeah so it was like this momentous thing i wanted one of these instruments since i was young and and so this was in 2005 that i got this and 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 it has been some time and since i have since i got it i've it, it has been to i suppose i had i haven't been with it to antarctica or south america yet but that, that only two places that that it hasn't been well all the other continents <laughs> yeah. it, it, if um just uh, uh briefly so it would be cool if you had the suit i was also talking about this someone once saying it, you know when people ask you a question and they go what superpower would you have if, if you could have any one and it's quite hard to just pick just one but i, I always thought a very cool one would be to touch an item and sort of like in a moment of like your eyes go like blurry and you can like see the past and live oh. through the eyes of the person that's like, like if you touch a 200 year old ring, you see the life of the person who wore it. Mm -hmm. That would be cool if we could do that with your uh, saxophone. That's a good one. And it's a very underappreciated superpower. Nobody, that's not a go-to. Everyone goes for flying or something like that. I was thinking like um, uh, my recently, my go-tos have been, uh, you know, that the Wolverine superpower where you heal very quickly because um, <laughs> wow. random injuries are just a pain in the ass. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's a great one. That's much more of a, of a storyteller's superpower mm -hmm. one that uh and so given your yeah your 
questions. <laughs> so you also worked on the Netflix reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. What was that like? Sequel, I think we call the it, right? Sequel, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. <laughs> what was that like? Um where to start? Uh it was well, so it was when I when I was approached to do it, it was really described to me, you know, I was reading the, the script and, and my, my first question really for the producers and, and David, the director was, are, is this, are we going direct sequel? Are we going kind of, cause it, it, it felt like reading that felt like an old man, Logan, sort of a, uh, uh, of a, you know, from the villain's perspective kind of like a grendel situation where not not necessarily playing out from the villain's perspective but we're 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 catching up with the with the um the monster later Mm -hmm. in life and is this so is this a direct sequel to the to the initial one and uh you know how does it relate and and they were adamant that it was indeed exactly that and so my my focus was really just on toby hooper's original uh, entirely, uh, in terms of how to go about imagining the music for this and not that I wanted to. So, so the unique challenge in it was how do you honor the, the, the source material and, and act in some way as an extension of that same story without utilizing any of that material, uh, Mm. Because I didn't want it to just be using bits and pieces of that to make so so I I, I didn't do I didn't use any of that. It, instead, it was just kind of getting into the essence of the sound world, uh, and then in re- creating my own, which was almost like if we took the original sound world, um, stripped it down to its essence in terms of what 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 those things uh, how they function. Then take that function, uh, definition of that function, and uh, and then extrapolate it into a new world, which is now uh, maybe not decrepit, but aged, mm-hmm. uh, rust, rusty. Everything uh, with that kind of veneer of of uh, of age and weather and um, and time on it, and so and the the one of the things that so this as an aside one of the things that i love to do in in scoring in general and music in general is to obscure the like purposefully obscure the source of the sound so i i i i don't particularly i i will i will do it i do do it but i do like to present music as a collection of sounds that maybe on first listening if you ask somebody oh what what is that instrument they might say oh it's i'm very confidently saying that that's a violin it is not that but um so there's some there's some sense of familiarity with it but ultimately it is uh it is a false familiarity and so with exchange on massacre i went as far into that as i ever have gone and that i wanted all of it to be completely uh obscured from its sound source so so you listen to texas chainsaw massacre and i don't know what people hear but the score itself is almost entirely comprised of 
uh, this instrument, the the bass saxophone, an instrument called the tubax, which is a, a contrabass saxophone, and um, and Tibetan singing bowls. Mm. So the majority of that score is really just all made of brass instruments um, played in various unconventional ways, and then and then processed in further uh, unconvention. So. Yeah, uh, I, I early on, as I was um, kind of laying the foundation for themes and 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 doing all the the sonic exploration and experimentation for that film, I asked. I remember asking the, the producers. I said, you know, when you say, when you when when you tell me somebody like me something like, you know, nonlinear, you use a word like that, or you abstract, or you, you say, you know. Uh, in music that can I'll take that seriously and I'll go very I'll, I'll go very far with it so do you mean it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's and it's I, interesting that you say sort of like you don't know how oh I wonder how the music sounds to like say me the listener and it is it, when I was listening it is very hard to sort of pinpoint what is being used because it's like what what are these sounds that I'm hearing like all I know is that it's this very it's terrifying it's un- like unsettling and you were talking about how it's like ru- rusty like rusted metal that in order to make it sound like like it was older and aged and i was there's there's a particular track every last one my favorite. that is i that's my favorite one and i even when i say favorite because they all just i i get really spooked right so easily um <laughs> from horrors but I sort of describe that track as just like metal scraping together, lots of terrifying bangs. <laughs> and I was just wondering, like, my actual question was, is there a particular track you made on that soundtrack where you were like, whoa, I am like creeped out, bro. Like, I've scared myself. Uh, uh, the, the the tracks where I will scare myself more or I try to are tracks like I'm trying to remember the the title of it but for a scene like uh where um there's a there's a slashing that happens in the kitchen around some pans and where there's like all of a sudden quite a jump scare and there's you know or actually no there's a the this this the first violence in that movie where they're in the van I won't describe it for anybody who's not seen it um that one i i would startle myself with because i just wanted for those sounds to be so grotesque and so aggressive and so abrupt so as to really just play up the 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 edits play up the the physicality of the scene as much as as i could so those scenes where there's some amount of pause like pregnant pauses throughout will really get me and and i and i do that i like to just to hold myself as the as the judge and jury for for that for the effectiveness of a scene like that because of because if it can scare me if i can close my eyes and let the music just do the thing and if the instant that something happens can get me still even though i'm the one who put it together then i know it's going to work on somebody who's who's noob to it um in terms of the thing that was the most fun to do, maybe more than almost anything I've ever done, it's that every last one.
the instrumentation in that the main kind of uh grindcore um riff of that is played on a contrabass saxophone that i just super saturated and distorted out and then all of the percussion on it are percussion mics that are from that are on the instrument so it's just all of that grinding metallic banging that's all coming from that and well most of it's coming from that instrument some of it is also tibetan bulls and and then the the lead though and there's a number there's a few things like this i so knowing about the character leatherface knowing about the origins with the with the farm and the fact that there's so much you know like the um the the chainsaw and the other implements of death that one associates with the farm and with the abattoir uh, I wanted to bring in, and I use a lot of animal sounds just in general when I'm when I'm building scores. Well, to a certain degree, I use animal sounds uh, to to bolster certain things, and sometimes it's quite featured elements. And so I used quite a bit of hog grunting and growling and purring and stuff in this throughout. I, you wouldn't notice it because mostly it mm-hmm. it accompanies low end stuff. So if I've if I've got say you know bass saxophone on the bottom just doing a drone or or just some big swell inside of that sound will be like a a a slowed down grunt of a hog that you know just kind of gives it this vocal kind of terror um horrible um uh, organic um kind of uh, life to it but so so then I took that one step further and took a turkey call that's like a little diaphragm that people use to to hunt turkeys and used that. Oh, so the wow. whole all the themes in every last one are those are played me playing a turkey call. <laughs> this is what I love to find out things like this because you would never yeah. think, you know, no, that's a no, hog. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, yeah there's there's those those <laughs> and i i would i i i laughed hysterically all day long while doing so moving on into a uh, hereditary territory now how did you sort of take an, an how was your approach different to this film than with um texas chainsaw massacre Hereditary is completely different uh, than anything that I had. Uh, I would say there are some similarities between my approach to Hereditary and the last film that I just scored called The Menu. But I don't think that anyone would, on the surface, would notice that because they are aesthetically quite different. But with Hereditary, the whole game is that the you're not playing out the perspective of the characters who are in the dark you're playing out the perspective of the plot which is already unfolding Mm. around and through those characters so the whole score really is the fifth it's the house it's the it's the plan it's the payment of it all it's it's that it's that um kind of triggered um sequence of events and so you get to then make this uh make the make the music something that has its own life and that really just interacts with and can taunt 
and can be maybe sometimes slightly affected by by the characters themselves in, in, in the course of the film and so but ultimately that everything about the unfolding it's all there you know that that last scene where you know the, the coronation happens it's all we already have seen it all it's all been kind of hiding in plain sight throughout the film and so the music has to reflect that uh so basically for me it's you have the you have reborn that last scene where finally we have melody and big sweeping theme and this this kind of this uh this fanfare but everything that happened but if you if you kind of retrace the steps um go, going back to the beginning of the movie everything that happens in that last scene has already happened uh, basically is, is there's a there's a trail of musical breadcrumbs as it were piecing it all together but in in kind of different contexts so that one doesn't see that it's really standing right there in front of them uh, until it's the the that that the final reveal so it was very fun to to work in those those kind of obscurantist ways and to keep it shrouded throughout uh the the whole course of the film and 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 the trick was to never really deal with explicitly stated theme uh melody um very you know concrete motifs it had it had theme and motif in 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 terms of uh of the timbre and the aesthetic and the instrumentation and just a general feeling but i avoided melodies i avoided things that would attract attention to themselves so the whole of the score had to be something that really would never attract attention to itself which is maybe somewhat you know anathema like it, it really just goes against some amount of the tendency i think that anybody working on anything in in film thinks that they're going oh i've got to i've got to show up here i have to show up here and make the yeah. theme make this visible and it was the exact opposite really just if i if i showed up if me as the composer showed up in those scenes and that music came out and you noticed it in ways that weren't really just expounding um and enhancing the the what was happening on screen then i did, had not done my job correctly and so it was all really just um laid out that way i read that the director ari asta wanted you to make the soundtrack feel evil but in order for something to really feel that way you sort of i would think maybe have to put yourself in that place and I just want to know, like, was that difficult at times? Because I just can't imagine sitting in a room for hours and being like, all these like horrible <laughs> sounds. And you're just like, like, you know, just listening to a, a few of the tracks. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a ghost in the room. Ah! You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's easier when you don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, no. See, I don't even know if I do believe in ghosts. Oh, no, 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 I know, I know. That, that, I'm mostly just being a dick. I, <laughs> I mean, I mean by that I mean I'm, I. It's a combination of things. I get genuinely frightened of 
of certain things, but not those things. But I do, I do feel like I understand something about. So, what are the things that make this feel evil? There's, uh, it, it, it may, and maybe people don't. So, all of the, all of the basis for all the for for vast majority of it is contrabass clarinets played in in number and they're all and i'm playing them in such a way so as to run through the overtones in a kind of growl and then use mic'd very clearly my breath and so you have the combination of this undulous sort of ever-present growling kind of almost like a sinister purr plus a very very hyper-present noticeable yet maybe not fully in the front breathing that mm. happens not not with your breath the audience it's it's mm. a breath that's happening outside of you but but it, but it's present for, it's present for you and it's present in a, in a disjunct and unpredictable way now that i think just on its face is what most people think of well it's not what most people think of but it's the thing that's doing the heavy lifting in terms of the making it feel evil it's giving it, it's giving the essence of it, this kind of life, this, this potentially sinister life independent of the viewer. That's just kind of lurking around a corner perpetually for, you know, for the course of the film. Um, and that it's, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's the foot in the door as it were, in terms of, you know, getting someone to feel ill at ease and as soon as you have that general feeling of ill at ease that, that you, you have someone feeling off their center then you can move them in particular yeah. directions but so th so that's i think how and i i and i i enjoy that <laughs> musically speaking i do and i enjoy affecting like that's the whole that's the whole thing that's the whole mm -hmm. thing of, of all music it's a it's 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 um, Im imbuing an object in this case so sonic um, aural object with a certain amount of intention um, and then that intention then being released uh, onto another and hopefully if if it was you know adequately or correctly done then that intention is going to translate through and that person or people they're going to have a real and uh and tangible uh change it's going to have an effect on their consciousness uh, and their experience and that's the whole thing whether it is we're trying to make someone feel sad feel lustful feel um you know you know feel longing or feel dread it's it's all coming from the same place and i do think that there's something about all of them they all share you 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 have to be you have to be willing to be moved in the first place and sometimes for for any of them you kind of you have to maybe put like there's a little nudge that happens in, initially to put someone into a place where they'll be receptive
always find it hard to imagine like a horror film without the music. So what was it like to view the cut of the film without the music? And then how when when do you sort start to see it sort of take take shape? Speaking specifically of Hereditary, Hereditary is one of those films where there's nothing Hereditary did not when you read it, you realize that the from off the page, there's nothing to fix there. There's no slow parts. There's there's nothing about it moves. It does exactly what it needs to do. It doesn't do any more or less than that. It does what it needs to do. It has a beginning, middle, and an end, and, and it all works, functions perfectly on the page. So you can hear the music already there. When you see it, and you know, so so the next step, uh, of course, is is for filmmakers and and a, and a full team to bring that all to the screen. But, and again, in the case of Hereditary, all that is absolutely there and intact on the screen as well. So there's no, there's nothing to fix. There's no performance in that film that is limp, that, that creates a kind of a dead spot that you need, that the music needs to do extra duty in, in, in terms of really trying to pick up slack. The edit doesn't need for the film to, you know, there are there are a couple of moments where it's where it, it was good with the music to enhance certain at certain cut points, certain beats, but this really wasn't a jump scare film. It, mm. I didn't need to play to jump scares um, in in any sort of like very deliberate way because it was doing what it needed to do already. So I had the the very um you know i would say very joyful job of really just of adding of only being additive of of only having to be additive and just enhance what was already there and do so in 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 whatever ways uh, that it that i felt as though it needed and which is not um is not always the case uh, and so in, in instances like that, it's just really, you, you're quite fortunate that you really just get to sing and, 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 and run around and, and just really play with it and, and to, to do what I think the essence of the, of the rule of composer, you know, I'm hesitant to use the words like should, but can be, um, mm. when everything else is all in line. So seeing as this is a Halloween special, but mm-hmm. you, I think you, you have already mentioned that you said you don't believe in ghosts. You really don't. <laughs> ghost stories for us today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends on what we're, what we're looking for. I certainly, well, I mean, what are you looking for? <laughs> hmm. Um, terrifying steps in the night you know doors closing whispers <laughs> a, 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 sh- a shape-shifting oddball that sort of you know flies through your wall in the middle of the night and you're like what's that oh i mean that kind of thing happens all the time really but Whoa, really <laughs> Well, right where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're in the middle of some sort of dream and you maybe you you're still in it and so your body can't move yet. Oh yeah, that's that I get that. And there's there's maybe you forgot that you put 
like your jacket or in a pair of pants on a particular hook in the, and then all of a sudden there's a big dark shape that looks more like a, like a, a, a tall, um, you know, creepy walker and, and yeah. <laughs> not in yet. In a, so that, that kind of thing. Sure. Do I, in that state, do I think of it as, Oh my God, there's a ghost in the house. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that I, that's my, that's my go-to. But you, but you but, know that that's not real. Like I know exactly what you're yeah, talking about. So I yeah. know I, yeah. I, you know, when you're sort of existing between like the realms of, of, awake and asleepness sometimes you you it takes a second for your mind to clock on and you're like oh my god what's that and then you wake up and you're like oh yeah of course but I'm talking more about like you know yeah oh I I once saw this thing and I wasn't sure but I I brushed it off thinking ghosts aren't real you know like every classic horror oh. film and they go ghosts aren't real god damn it and then all of a sudden like you're the you're the object the ghosts go I'm gonna get you now uh, yeah, well, I uh, maybe I'll start trying that. I, I haven't. Um, I don't tend to. It's not a thing where my my brain doesn't go to the ghosts aren't real because it doesn't even go to the ghosts are real part. But I I will I will say one of the things, and this is just I I do like to do this, and I do I, and I suggest it. I suggest that people try it because it's it is um, it's it's fun. But go. If you're say do it in a place that you that you know, do it in a, a place that you know and you're safe in. Oh um, no, I'm scared. But, <laughs> no, but if if you go to the woods in the dark, you don't turn on a light, and you just walk slowly and stop. I'm terrified. Right. I'm screaming, <laughs> crying, throwing up already. <laughs> walk for a bit. Stop. Listen. There's so much happening in that quiet and that really, yeah, especially when, and I won't do this. I would never do this somewhere where I actually have been afraid. So, so I've been to Alaska many times and I've been petrified being quite close to um, grizzly bears, knowing that they were in the vicinity that I was at the same time, because that's real. Yeah, That's and you cool. would get that is a horror film, and oh, yeah, way exactly. worse than a ghost. I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd, rather, I'd take the ghost any day. <laughs> so I would never do this particular thing there, but you know, there's, but there are. So, so there's not real threat in in the kind of situations that I've done this, but even still, um, it does magnify all those things that are all the, the essence of the way that we fear. Mm-hmm. On, a, on a very like I think fundamental psychological biological level, where you put yourself in a situation, even though you controlled for the for for all of this, you know the area, you know what's out there, you know that you're not in danger. The the stimuli, the fact of the darkness, the fact of the unknown, the fact of the minutia of all of the of the sounds being the kinds of things that trigger us in all those ways. The fact that it that that's so hardwired will make and uh, um, make that you know in that instance that irrational fear they will it will make it manifest as real mm-hmm. and so that i think is um fun <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. i can a- picture what you're saying absolutely perfectly which is sort of why i'm like yeah. i was like i'm terrified because <laughs> my dad lives in the middle of nowhere in a tiny cottage right okay. next to a huge forest 
You're going to do it next week. (laughs) You you walk out the back door and you're, you're just looking at these trees and you're like, no, nope. Back in, back in the house, lock the door. Because it, 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 but you know you're safe. There's no grizzlies in in the Isle of Man where I'm from. There's not even like a fox that could scare you or a squirrel <laughs> in the night. You know, it's more like a sleeping butterflies and bees. But it's it's it is just ominous. Like for some reason, just the unknown and the dark is uh, it's very yeah. it's very terrifying. And the fact that are that are hearing that without sight, everything else is enhanced so much in our senses that something like a squirrel will sound and feel like a charging bear, just enormous in, in the world. And so, and also, so yeah, so figuring out, I don't know, in in some sense, it's kind of like a research for me. Uh, And in other sense, it's, it's just like a meditation. It's a meditation. Um, I I was recently out in the, um, in the woods with a friend who, uh, we were doing some video. We were doing some videos for promo for a new record of mine that's coming out in a few weeks uh, called Chimera. Uh, and so to do this, we had taken like these tiny little light sources and putting them behind um, bushes and and tall grasses and things like that and trees and and then and had me out in in the dark as well. And so. Um, so to scout this out, we were just walking around in the dark in a place that I know really well, but don't spend a lot of time in those, in those areas, um, in the dark of night rather than in the light of day. And it really is remarkable how much even something like the height of tall grasses where I would never have noticed in the daytime that they, they, they towered over me, Mm -hmm. um, this this certain section this patch um of weeds and sh- shrubs and everything but in at, at night you feel um minuscule and it, it, so it, it really does the 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 fact of that of the darkness uh and and the fact of nighttime really does change how we experience the world on so many different levels and so I, and I think can be really informative in terms of how we then uh choose to and and um and the kinds of things we use um that we utilize and uh when when trying to affect uh each other through through music and art yeah I used to play in the forests as a kid a lot and then I'd go back home at night and lie in bed when it's dark outside and think of myself going down to play in the same forest in the middle of the night and and I I used to scare myself so silly and think I'm never going back there again and then the daylight would come and all of a sudden like all the fears would just sort of like drift away with with the day and and then I'd go back and then every every night it'd be the same sort of thing again so you uh, it's very interesting that you've uh, what, what you're saying, but um, my next question is: if you could, if you could have worked on one movie that's already been released, which one would it be? Oh my god! Um, uh, that's a that's a tricky one because it understandably the if a, if you really love a film you're gonna have loved the score 
and you're not going to want to have changed it. Um, but if I say that I would have liked to have been the one who did the score, I'm really stating that I would have liked to have changed. The, oh, I see. I, so this is a bit of a, it's a bit of a shithead question, you know, in terms of like, not you, not from you, but like, it makes me a shithead, no matter like, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Um, we can leave, we can leave it on, we can leave it on dot, 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 if you'd like. No, I'm just thinking about, um, there are, there are certainly things that I wish that, uh, and not, not, that are just so perfect that I wish that I had been able to experience them from the inside out. I would say like that. So something like that, maybe, um, where, where I, and, and so, yeah, I'll say it in, in, in terms of that, there are several scores that are just my favorites of all time that if I had been, if, 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 you know, and a fly on the wall. Yeah, if time had been a different thing, if my and 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 uh, and my happenings had 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 co uh, coincided, uh, and I was able to be in the section that played the low end, you know, uh, in, in in a scene from Prisoners, you know, for example, I would have loved to have been part of that from the inside out because you know what Johan did with Prisoners, I think, is just one of the best things that. Um, he or anybody has ever done. It's just a beautiful, haunting, um, sparse, um, um, so patient, um, such a gorgeously patient score. Something like that, I would have loved to have been a part of, um, maybe, and and if I'm speaking in, like, just uh, my, my over-the-top platitudes towards the things that I love the most, uh, Hans Zimmer's um, Thin Red Line really is my all-time favorite film score. I, 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 Terrence Malick uh, is my favorite, and and that film is masterpiece, and the score is a masterpiece. And yeah, if I had been um, in some way um, able to be inside of that um, when it was happening. Even just yeah, even just in the studio watching that happen or out in the field watching um Malik do um direct uh his actors and his teams that would have been um that's something that I would have loved to have been a part of so yeah we'll, we'll that's a beautifully that answered question right <laughs> so what's next for you what have you got coming up in the future oh so much right now the the next film that's coming out is in i think november 18th the menu on fox searchlight is coming out and so the and the score will be when when do we release this probably next week or the week after just before the 31st just before halloween oh great 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 so yeah so then by this time october 19th is the is the announce for that score and so people at this point should be able to hear at least one or two of the tracks from the score from the menu, which I'm really happy with and really excited for everyone to see this film because it's brilliant. On November 11th, I believe, is the date that my next record, Chimera, comes out. And Chimera is more or less a drone metal record. It's just a, 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 
all um, bass and contrabass saxophone, um, low end. Um, it's just low end gluttony. It's it's. I, I one of maybe my the, my favorite thing that I've ever done. I I, I love it. Um, two twenty one minute, um, really expansive, massive drone pieces, and that comes out in November as well. And then I am currently working on producing and recording a couple records for two friends, which will be coming out in the in the spring that haven't been announced. So I guess I can't talk about them yet. And then uh, and and in the process of recording two new solo records, um, proper solo records. So those will be out at various times next year as well. And then Uzumaki, that I did the score for the Adult Swim. Uh, uh, miniseries for uh, of the anime for the manga Uzumaki should Amazing. finally be coming out in the spring, or at least that's what that's what we hear. So, if that if that if that um, release date stays, then springtime should should uh, see the release of that show and the music for that as well. So it's quite a bit coming up in the in the near future. Amazing. I'm so excited to check it out. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, me too. Well, well thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It's been a real pleasure and really nice to sort of get to know you a little bit more. For me as well, this is a really nice conversation. Thank you so much yeah. for all the, the thoughtful questions. Mm.